from the 13th chapter. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all these things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, One who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For Jesus knew who was to betray him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. After he washed their feet and put on his robe and returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in God's own self, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Judeans, now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The Gospel of the Lord. May be seated. In one of the faith journey groups that met during Lent, I asked participants to tell about people in their life who set an example of Christ like living that they wanted to follow. What inspired them in those people? And after the first four or five of them shared, it was obvious that there was a common theme in all of their answers. In every case, the people being named were people who always made room for others at the table, whether it was planned or unplanned. They were people who displayed a wide-open hospitality to others, regardless of that person or person's connection to their family or to their circle of friends and regardless of their ability to return any kindness. The people that these participants were describing were people who suspended judgment 
and open their arms in love, even to those who were prone to take advantage of their kindness and to sometimes exploit their generosity. In our group reflections, we acknowledged how good it is when we experience that, but also how hard it is to do that, especially when it comes to people who are only thinking about what they can get out of the grace that is shown to them. And that led us back to our reflections on the love of God that we have come to know in Jesus Christ. And to say that whenever we see that love in other people, we see obedience to the commandment that is being remembered in churches throughout the world this night. To love one another as I have loved you. In the homily that I preached at my mother's memorial service this winter, I remembered that she sometimes ordered us children to be kind and to love, to treat others in an open and generous way. But that order would have been meaningless if we hadn't seen it in her. And had we not been the recipients of generous love ourselves, for my siblings and I, there would have been little inspiration to embody it for others. And the same was true, I'm sure, for the disciples who gathered with Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed. Before being commanded to love, they all experienced what that meant for them in a very personal way, a very intimate way with Jesus. And as we hear their story tonight, we can also recall how similar it is to our own. It is our story if we ever come into relationships wondering, what's in it for me? How can I benefit from my association with this person? And the same is certainly true if we ever look at our relationship with God in that way, in that self-serving way, which is probably true for most of us. And because of that, we aren't that different from James and John, who spent the earlier part of the evening trying to woo their way into Jesus' inner circle, thinking about how they might benefit from that in the days and the years to come, and perhaps even in the afterlife. Their story is ours, too, if we see any part of ourselves in Peter tonight. He had great intentions, always, but often got sidetracked or even twisted or distracted by so many things that swayed him or captured his emotion. Usually he was quite sure of himself, sure that he was right, sure that he was capable, sure that he was self-sufficient, sure that he was understanding and faithful. And then he would stumble or start to sink and see how truly needy and vulnerable he really was. And his story is ours too if we ever find it difficult or threatening to claim our identity as followers of Jesus Christ in the public life that we share with others. Especially when we are among people here in this part of the world who often look down on so-called organized religion, or consider faith to be naive 
or are strange or misguided. We might not use the same words as Peter, who denied even knowing Jesus when he was put under pressure by others. But our avoidance and our silence can just be our own form of denial. And then if we go deeper into this story with Peter, we could ask, how many of us really are ready to put our life on the line if need be? If there is real danger involved or threats or loss to us, how many of us are ready to do that in order to follow the radical path of Jesus? To give up security and comfort in order to stand with him and with his people in a hostile world that has little or no tolerance for those who threaten the status quo. For my part, I see myself not only in Peter, but in all of these apostles. Not because I want to, but because I know that I have to if I'm going to hear this gospel for me tonight in an honest and open way. But what about Judas? Do I have to take the risk of seeing myself in him? Most of all, Judas seems to have been seduced by money. And he was willing to accept the fact that someone or others would have to suffer, perhaps in order for him to get it and to obtain it and to hold it. Maybe he didn't see that he was betraying, really, a loving God who was incarnate in a living, breathing person. Perhaps he only saw the chance to make profit or to get ahead. I'm not trying to soften the impact of what Judas did or the gravity of the consequences of his sinful behavior. I'm just trying to be honest and objective about our own vulnerabilities, which may not be as far removed from him as we think, especially those of us who live in such a privileged country where so much of our own wealth is gained at the expense of people that we would not intentionally want to hurt, and yet it's a part of our story, a very sad part of our story that we remember tonight as we come to God with contrite hearts. But here is the good news of this night that is proclaimed all over the world. Judas had his feet washed by Jesus along with all the others. And when we listen to all the evangelists, we learn that Judas was also welcomed at the table where bread was broken and shared, where wine was freely poured, and where the love of God and Jesus Christ was lavishly and unconditionally given. The same was true for Peter, who would betray Jesus, for James and John and all the others, and the same is true for us and for everyone who gathers at this table on this holy night. And for this to happen, of course, Jesus has to break many rules as he did in his own time. He has to break the rule that says that we must all get what we deserve and that some are more worthy than others of these precious gifts. Jesus has to break the rules which say that some belong here at this table in God's family and some don't. 
that some are more holy and righteous than others and that some merit a higher rank with God. Every time we gather at this table, Jesus has to break the rules that define hierarchy in our society in so many unjust ways and the boundaries that are put on love. But that is exactly what he does when he says, this is my body given for you and this is my blood shed for you. And that's exactly what we do when we say, every time we gather at this table, all are welcome at this table of grace. On the day that my mother died, my sister and I made a pilgrimage to the house in Hollywood where she was born and raised. And in a very Christ-like gesture of love, the current resident who didn't know us was very gracious and invited us into the home to come inside. We were flooded with memories as we walked in through the front door and saw the living room to the left and the dining room to the right. My grandfather had built the house in such a way that the two rooms could become one big room whenever there was an abundance of guests. On normal days, the dining room table looked really small, maybe enough room for about six people. But when guests came, leaves were added that my grandfather had made. And the table, of course, expanded and expanded out towards the living room. And then on the days that are seared into my memory, the table just kept getting longer and longer as guests arrived. I'm sure there were a finite number of leaves to put there, but in my memory as a teenager and as a young child, that just never seemed to be the case. It just seemed endless. And all I knew is that there would be a place for me at the table and for everyone else who came, no matter how many that turned out to be. And all I know tonight is that that hospitality comes from God. It is from the source and the inspiration of God and Jesus Christ and the endless hospitality that continues to be extended to this table. A table that is set for us tonight, too, has absolutely no limits. It can expand into the living room, out to the yard, across the street, across the world, if necessary. So come on this holy night, take your place at the table with all the other guests, and then go to love as you have been loved. Yes, it is a commandment. It's an order we receive from Jesus tonight. But it is a commandment that comes, as it did from my mother, but even in a far deeper, profound way, from this one who first loves us, beyond what we could ever know or understand or imagine. For that, on this night, we say, thanks be to God. Amen.